I'm Jeff, and I'm the senior minister here at Plymouth Christian Centre, and I'm going to be um, opening the Bible with you this morning, and we're doing a little series on the book of Habakkuk, and um, as I said last week, um, if you don't know where Habakkuk is, uh, join the club, and look in your index in your Bible, or if you're on a tablet, that's easier to find, but you go to the end of the Old Testament, and you work your way back about four or five books, and you'll get to Habakkuk. Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, Zephaniah, Habakkuk. One of the minor prophets. And um, we're going to start by reading uh, chapter 2 and verses 1 to 4 of Habakkuk this morning. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me, and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end, and it will not prove fake. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. Last week, as we started to look at this book of Habakkuk, we um, considered kind of the circumstances that Habakkuk, the prophet, found himself in. And we considered the fact that often in in, uh, Old Testament prophecy, the prophet is speaking to the people what he is hearing God saying. But in this case, Habakkuk is speaking to God and he's lamenting to, he's complaining to God about what he sees before his eyes. He sees, first of all, the rising threat of the Babylonians, their enemies, the, all around Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. Israel had split in two. The northern kingdom had been taken off into exile and this was the southern part of Judah and uh, Habakkuk saw the, the, the um, Assyrians kind of receding into the distance, but the Babylonians were this superpower that were on the rise and that were threatening um, the people of Judah. And, um, but also what Habakkuk saw was, was he saw injustice in society and he saw crime and he saw conflict and um, he complained to God and he asked God questions. He kind of said, God, where are you? Why do you seem to be silent? Um, and he asked these kind of questions that have been asked down the ages, really, by many people of faith and none. And the first question he said was, how long, God? How long is this going to go on? How long am I going to suffer what we're suffering as a, as a society and as a culture? And then he asked the question several times over, why, God? Why are you allowing this? Why do you look on injustice? Why do you let the righteous be oppressed? Um, why is this happening? Why this conflict? And so Habakkuk cried out to God. And last week, we thought about three things. We thought about the wrestling of faith, that sometimes life doesn't make sense, does it? And, and we ask questions like, why? And we ask questions like, how long? At a macro level, we ask it when we look at society and when we look at culture and when we look at some of the issues that we're facing, up down, upside-down values of society and we and we are troubled by that and um, but also at a micro level at a personal level there are times 
in our lives, where there is delay, where there is uh, distress, where there is trouble. And, and this uh, series is called Trusting God in Troubled Times. How do you still have faith in the dark? How do you still have faith when God doesn't make sense or when things don't turn out as you had hoped that they would? And we talked about wrestling and I referenced John Ortberg's book, Faith and Doubt, and uh, a man of many years' experience and uh, theological expertise and psychological insight and pastor of large churches. And he said, I'll let you into a secret. I still have doubts. And um, so we considered that kind of wrestling of Habakkuk last week and the way he wrestled with his faith. But then we talked about his response of faith and the fact that he responded by honest prayer and by worship. If you remember, Habakkuk started to change his perspective a little bit and he started to look at God and he said, you are my God. You are my God. You are my rock. And uh, you are the one from everlasting. You are the ancient of days. And you could almost hear the cogs turning in Habakkuk's brain as he wrestles with God. And in verse 3, he says, why do you tolerate evil, God? And then in verse 13, he says, you cannot tolerate evil, God. And why, in verse 3, why do you make me look on injustice, God? And then in verse 13, but God, you, you, can't, you are not a God of injustice. You're a God of justice. And so he starts to worship God, and he starts to respond with honest prayer. But he also stands. He stations himself on the ramparts, and uh, he says, I'm going to stand, and I'm going to wait on God. I'm going to see what God does. Now, of course, God answers uh, Habakkuk. And as we said last week, he gives him an answer that he doesn't like, and Sometimes we get answers that we don't like. And, and God said, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians and they're going to come and, they're going to, uh, and I'm going to deal with this injustice. I'm going to bring judgment on Judah through the people of Babylonia, uh, Babylon and they're going to rise up and they're going to take you into exile, which is exactly what happened in 605 BC. And so this wrestling match, this response of faith, but then we finished last week by looking at the reason for our faith. You know, God said to Habakkuk, I am going to do something in your days, Habakkuk, that you would not believe even if you were told. And um, there's this promise of God that I am, I am on it, uh, Habakkuk, and there is a plan of redemption and salvation that is coming out of this judgment. And we kind of traced forward from Babylon, we thought, how the, kind of the empires ro- ro- rose and fell, so the Babylonians were followed by the Greeks, were followed by the Romans, and, uh, and we saw God's, um, God's plan of salvation beginning uh, to work. How even though the, the Israelites were taken um, to, into exile, they were then dispersed all over. And then the synagogues were built. And um, culturally and societally, uh, the, the, the roads were laid ready for Christianity to spread. And one day, many years later, um, in Acts 13, Paul stood up in one of those synagogues, one of those dispersed synagogues in Pisidian Antioch, and he said, I want to preach to you about Jesus. I want to tell you about Jesus. I want to tell you about Jesus, that he died on the cross for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And this is what Habakkuk was talking about in 1 verse 5, when uh, he said, I will do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. And so there is an ultimate plan of salvation. There is a reason for our faith that we can hold on to, even when we're wrestling, even when things don't make sense, even when we're in a time of delay or disappointment or trouble, that God is still working, that God has an ultimate plan of salvation. And that reason for our faith 
is, is, um, is ultimately what we hold on to. We fast forwarded to the end of the book and to Revelation and to the fall of Babylon ultimately and the rise of the new kingdom and the new heavens and the new earth. And the answer to the question that was also asked in Revelation, how long and who can stand under the judgment of God? So that's kind of where we ended last week. And we ended with Habakkuk taking himself to the ramparts and waiting on God to see how God would respond to his complaint. God, I don't like what's happening. I don't even like your response to my complaint. I don't like the fact that you're going to use the Babylonians in this moment. But God, I'm waiting on you. And I want to talk to you this morning about waiting on God. Waiting on God and trusting God and living by faith. The the just shall live by faith is is, um, the scripture that's in this passage Habakkuk is a book about trusting God in troubled times. And society and culture, as we, as we remembered last week, it does not always get better and better. There are cycles of evil and um, rise and fall. Peace does not always prevail. And there are ways to respond in faith during these times based on our ultimate reason for faith, which is Jesus and the coming of his kingdom. We have read the end of the story And we will, as we remembered last week, we will survive. We will not die. We will not perish. And we ended there of this waiting on God. And I want to talk to you this morning about waiting on God. I want to give you four ways to wait on God, to live by faith in the dark, to trust God in troubled times. I want to talk about being patient and what that means and uh, how that looks and what that does in our lives. I want to talk about gaining perspective. I want to talk about staying at your post. Stay at your post and hold on to God's promises. Be patient is how you wait on God. Gain perspective. Stay at your post. Hold on to God's promises. In Habakkuk chapter 2 here, God responds to Habakkuk's complaint about the mess he finds himself in, the trouble that surrounds him, by giving him a compelling vision of the future. And he tells him to write down this vision. Write it on tablets, Habakkuk. Write down the vision that I'm going to give you so that people can run with it, so that it is recorded and a record is kept of it. Because then God says to Habakkuk in verse 3, this vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently. Or though it linger, wait for it. Be patient is ultimately what the Hebrew says. Be patient. Wait for what I'm going to do, Habakkuk. Wait and watch. I'm going to do something in your days. You wouldn't believe it if I told you. And here's the vision of that. But if it takes time to come, I want you to wait patiently. Though it lingers, I want you to tarry. I want you to wait. In the words of the great theologian Gary Barlow, have a little patience. (laughs) Have a little patience. But how do you get patience? It's like that old prayer, God, give me patience and give it me now. How How do you get patience? How do you cultivate patience when you're waiting on God? Which is what God is telling Habakkuk here, Lord, Come on, God, how long? Wait, Habakkuk. Wait patiently until what I have said is fulfilled. 
The first thing I think, I think there's a couple of acts of deliberate acts that we need to, to do to fulfill if we're going to live patiently. We can choose to do these things. And the first act is, is a deliberate act of humility. It's, it's, it's a deliberate act of humility. Do you, ever, do you ever feel feelings of frustration or anger or despair because something is not working out as you had hoped? Your plans are being frustrated. Do you ever feel kind of, oh, God, come on. Why is this happening? Why is it taking so long? Why this delay? You ever feel that sense of anger or frustration? Sometimes those feelings can arise because of our lack of omniscience. We, we just can't see what's coming down the road. We can't understand it. We don't, we don't get it. Our plans are being frustrated. That application was turned down. That, that job we went for, we didn't get it. That kind of college we wanted to study at, it didn't work out. Or our plans to, to, to move, it, it's, it's, just, it's not working out the way we had planned it. Sometimes these feelings come because we can't work it out. I, I, we think I wanted A and B and C to happen, and, and it's not happening. And I feel angry and I feel upset about that. And what humility does, what, what an act of humility does is says, we cannot know. I cannot know what's coming down the line. And I am going to submit myself ultimately to God's will. And not to my own plans, but to God's plans. And this is how James expresses that act of humility in James 4, 13 to 15. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city. We're going to spend a year there and then we're going to carry on business and we're going to make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanish. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and we will do this or we will do that. And that is a deliberate act of humility. That says, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen next week. I may have my plans. I may have my intentions. And James says, look, you're making your plans. You're going to go do this and do that and build this business and earn money there and he says, but what you really need to do is submit to the will of God and say, if it's God's will, that's what we'll do. And that is a deliberate act of humility in the waiting on God. It's, it's about being patient and uh, a submission to God's will and ultimately an acknowledgement that we're not in control. It, um, we're not ultimately in control, that God is in control and that we submit to his will. Even the wisest people amongst us cannot see all ends. So be humble. Choose humility. And this will help you to wait patiently. That's the first deliberate act in waiting patiently. The separate de deliberate act is, is a choice to experience personal growth. It's, it's, um, when we're waiting on God patiently, it's, we can choose that we're going to experience personal growth. Now that sounds a little bit like psychobabble. Jeff is going all woo-woo on us. <laughs> Just experience personal growth. And, um, but wait a minute, um, because, because times of patient waiting can represent an opportunity for you to grow personally in your character, 
and in your strength and in poise and in endurance. Sometimes sad things, disappointments, trouble, distress, the things maybe that you're going through right now are an opportunity for you to grow and to become more of who God wants you to be. And when you meet disappointments and delay with patience, the Bible says good things happen in your life. Consider it, James again, James 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance or patience. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Or consider it, the message version says, consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come to you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you can become mature and well-developed. Patience, if we, if we live in it, can bring and develop character in us and maturity. That's what the Bible says. The way that um, Paul says it as he writes to the Romans in Romans 5, 3 and 4 is we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us to endure and to develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. So when bad things happen, like they were happening to Habakkuk, and we meet them with patience and we wait on God patiently, it can turn you into a person of character and poise. Or not. Pressure can turn a lump of coal into a diamond. And the book of Habakkuk that we're studying has been called the mini Job. It's kind of a mini version of Job. A shortened verse, three chapters, that's all Habakkuk is. Job's much longer. But that's what it's been called. And in the book of Job, in Job 23... Job ultimately says, God knows what he is doing, and I don't. That's the first point that we're thinking about, waiting patiently, being humble, expressing the fact, I am not God, I do not know what God is doing. God knows what he's doing, and I don't. That's patience. And then, when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. I will come forth, I will come out of this as gold. Humility and personal growth come from patience, even when we're confused and don't understand. If it seems slow in coming, Habakkuk says, or God says to Habakkuk, if it seems slow in coming, wait patiently. Have a little patience. The second thing in waiting on God is waiting patiently, being patient, is to gain perspective. What does Habakkuk do? He says, I will stand at my watch I will station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me. I will station myself on the ramparts. Literally, a tower. I will go to the tower. I will see, I will gain perspective on what is coming. 
I'll climb the message version. I'll climb to the lookout tower and I will scan the horizon. That's what Habakkuk says. And from the tower, from the ramparts, Habakkuk can see different things. He can see the weather formations that are coming. He can see the enemies that are gathering. He can see the emissaries. He has a better perspective than he would down below. He takes to the tower. Up in the tower, you can see better. He gains perspective. Much of our study of Revelation, when we looked at Revelation and the unveiling of God's purposes, the pulling back of the curtain of what was happening to the early church and in a state of persecution and trouble, it was about changing perspective. John's vision that he sent to the churches was about them seeing what was really happening. It was about changing their perspective on persecution, on Roman oppression, on bad people seeming to prevail and good people suffering. And John pulled back the curtains and and John gave them a vision of what was to come of the ultimate downfall of their enemies, of the ultimate rise of the saints, of the ultimate victory of the Lamb of God. And the perspective of the church was changed and, and hope arose. This helped them in their day to answer the question, the same question that Habakkuk is answering, asking, how long, God, and who can stand? Because our perspective can change everything. So you don't just look at your problem and your current troubles. You don't just look at those. But you see those things in light of the bigger picture, in light of everything the Bible tells you about your life and about yourself and about your future. One example of going to the tower to get perspective is found in Romans chapter 8. And it's what Paul does. And what Paul says, he says, I consider or I reckon. And the the verb there is logizomai, uh, which means it it deals with reality. It deals with, um, I can say that I reckon that my bank account has got 200 pounds in it. If I reckon that, if I've considered it's got 200 pounds in it, I am not deceiving myself. It it deals with facts over suppositions. It means to determine, to purpose, to decide. It means to consider, to weigh, to meditate on, to think about. And Paul says, I reckon, I've been thinking about this, and I reckon, I consider that our present sufferings our presence, whatever we're going through right now, I'm going to put it on a scale. And I, he says, I, reckon, I have thought about this. Our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And as he starts to put the glory of God and the future glory and the future hope of Christianity and the future hope of you as a saint of God, He says, when you look at it and you put it on the scales, and when I begin to think about it, I logizomai, I reckon that this present suffering, whatever I am going through right now, whatever doesn't seem to make sense, wherever God seems to be silent, I can say it's not even worth comparing with the weight of glory that God has prepared and revealed in us. Now, Paul knew what he was talking about when it comes to suffering. I mean, if if you want a list of Paul's sufferings, I mean, 2 Corinthians 11, five times, this is Paul, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus minus one, 39 lashes, five times. 
Think about getting 39 lashes once and what that would feel like. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles. I've been in danger at sea and in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled. I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, and I've often gone without food. I've been cold. I've been naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all of the churches. That's just a little kind of praise of Paul's sufferings. And he says, I consider, when I think about it, I consider that when I think about the present sufferings, they do not compare with the weight of glory that is waiting for us. What, what Paul is doing is he's going to the tower. He's changing his perspective. He's gaining perspective on what God is saying and what God is doing. You might not understand your present troubles. You might not understand your present circumstances. But when you look at the big picture, the reason for our faith that we looked at last time, I'm going to do something in your day you wouldn't believe even if you were told. Our perspective begins to change. He's meditating on the glory that is coming. And then he looks at his present sufferings, and then he can handle them. And then he can handle them. He's going to the tower. He's changing his perspective. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous run into it, and they are safe. So if we're going to wait on God, we need to wait patiently. If we're going to wait patiently, we need to choose two acts. We need to act in humility and recognize that we do not always know the future, and we do not always know what God is doing. We are not omniscient. We cannot know all things. But we choose an act of humility. We also choose that we will grow through these circumstances. We choose the truth of Scripture that through difficult times and trials and tribulations and troubles and darkness, that those are the times when God builds our character and our endurance and our poise and our personality. But the third thing that happens here in Habakkuk as he's waiting on God and waiting for the vision and what God is doing in his day and in his generation is he stays at his post. I will stand at my watch, Habakkuk says. I'm going to the ramparts. I will stand at my watch. Image of a sentry in the tower. I'm going to stay at my post. Like someone in the military on guard duty. The soldier on guard duty. Staying at their post. Now the soldier might feel sleepy. The soldier might feel bored. They might be tired. They might be feeling emotional. They might be feeling down. They might feel like they're not really getting very much out of this guard duty. But it doesn't matter what they feel or think. They have to stay at their post. And if they don't stay at their post, the consequences could be catastrophic. The city could be ransacked. The enemy could invade. You can't desert your post. You must do your duty. And... Habakkuk, if we're honest, he's struggling enormously with God. God, why? Why are you silent, God? Why this injustice, God? How long, God? Oh, you're going to send the Babylonians, God. That's your answer. That's great. But he says, I'm going to stand at my watch. I'm staying at my post. You may be weary, 
You may be perplexed. You may be doubting. You may feel that God is absent. You might not be getting much out of your Christian walk at the moment. You might not be getting much out of church at the moment. You might be getting nothing out of this sermon at the moment. But you can't leave your post. Don't leave your post. Wait on the Lord. Serve the Lord. And waiting on the Lord is just not waiting around. It's waiting on the Lord in the sense of serving him and doing your duty. And sometimes when we're struggling, when times are tough, when faith is fraught, we stop. We stop coming to church. We stop praying. We stop reading our Bible. We stop meeting with other believers. I don't feel like it. I'm not getting anything out of it. My faith feels empty. Sometimes we feel self-pity. We have ourselves a little party. Can you imagine the soldier at his court-martial for deserting his watch, leaving his post? Why did you leave your post? Well, I was tired. I wasn't getting anything out of it. Someone once wrote to John Newton and said, I am not getting anything out of praying. And he responded, I will tell you, you will certainly not get anything out of not praying. And if you get nothing every day from approaching the throne of grace, you will get absolutely nothing by staying away. There are times when waiting on the Lord means serving him. It means staying at your post. It means playing injured. It means standing, as we said last week, being a standing man or a standing woman and leaning into God. And it doesn't matter in the real sense of the word at times whether you feel like it or not or whether you can make sense of it or not. Stay at your post. I will stand at my watch. I will take myself to the tower. How do you trust God in troubled times? How do you wait on him? You be patient. You wait patiently on him. You gain perspective on your current troubles. You stay at your post. And you hold on to God's promises. You hold on to God's promises. You know, God keeps all of his promises, every single one of them. God says to Habakkuk, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told, Habakkuk. And Paul, as we've considered when he was preaching about Jesus in the synagogue at Pisidian Antioch in Acts 13, he refers back to this promise of God and he says, basically this is being fulfilled right now before your eyes in Jesus. And elsewhere, Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, he says, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. They're going to be fulfilled in Jesus. And we read then in Habakkuk 2 verse 4, the righteous shall live by faith. 
The righteous shall live by faith. And this verse is a pivotal verse in the Bible. It's repeated in Romans. It's repeated in Galatians. It's repeated in Hebrews. The righteous shall live by faith. It's the verse that sparked the Reformation. It's the verse that moved Martin Luther from drudgery and from trying to earn his salvation to putting his trust in God and his faith in God and the realization that we were made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. The just shall live by faith. It changed Luther's perspective and life and sparked a reformation. This was not just about stoically holding on though. It is about holding on to the promises of God, the gospel that is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. So in Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a story of a master who goes away and says he's going to come back. And he says, I want my followers to wait for me. That's what Jesus said in this story. Going to go out. I want my followers to wait for me. What happens to those followers who wait for God, who wait on Jesus, who trust him through troubled times, who stay at their post, who live by faith? What happens to them? What are the promises of God? In verse 35 of Luke 12, Jesus tells us, he says in this story, he says of the master that goes away, he says, be dressed ready for service and and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. He will make them recline at the table and will come and he will wait on them. That's what Jesus says. He says, for those that have waited on me, the master will come back and he will have them recline at table and he will wait on them. Jesus is going to have us sit down for the meal of our lives. He's going to have us recline at the table and he's going to wait on us. He's going to put on his apron and he's going to serve us. That's what this story says in Luke 12. If you wait for me, I will literally wait on you. And there'll be pure joy for those who have held on to God's promises, who've held on to Christ and their faith when Jesus returns. And how do you know that Jesus will do this? Because he already did it. We know that he will do it in the future because he did it in the past. The night before he died, he waited on his disciples. He got down and he washed their feet. And he put on his serving garments and he served them. And then he had them recline at the table and he served them. He waited on them. He gave them bread and he gave them wine. And he said, this is to demonstrate to you this meal that I am serving you Now, it's to demonstrate what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to remove your sins from you. I'm going to give you, my blood is going to be poured out for you. Jesus has already waited on us. He's already served us. He's already had us recline at table. He's already knelt down and washed our feet. 
And this waiting us on us in the past points to the way that he will wait on us in the future. John calls it the wedding feast of the Lamb. You see Jesus waiting on you in the past and telling you, and he tells you that as you hold on to his promises, living by faith, waiting for him, there will come a day that he will return and he will wait on you for the best meal that you have ever had in your life. Have a little patience. Change your perspective. Run to the tower. Consider and reckon and think and weigh out the fact that your present sufferings are absolutely nothing compared to the future glory of what God has prepared for those that love him. Stay at your post. Stay at your post. Even when you're getting nothing out of it, when you don't feel like it, when you're tired, stay at your post. I will stand at my watch. And hold on to the promises of God because as we said last week, the reason for our faith, the reason for trusting God in troubled times is because we know the end. We know the end. We know how the story ends. We know the ultimate salvation of God is through Jesus Christ. We know that out of judgment comes redemption and salvation. We know that ultimately Babylon falls. We know that ultimately the Lamb of God reigns and we prevail. We will not perish, but we will have everlasting life. Have a little patience. Change your perspective. Stay at your post. Hold on to the promises of God. Write down the revelation, Habakkuk. Make it plain so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end, and it will not prove false. And though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come, and it will not delay. Shall we pray together? Let's pray. Why don't you just put on the scales for a moment, (laughs) whatever it is that's troubling you. You just place it on the scales before God. (laughs) And maybe you've been asking about that, how long or why God? Maybe it makes no sense. Maybe you're walking in the dark at the moment. But I want to encourage you. I want you to reckon. I want you to consider. I want you to think for a moment that whatever it is you're facing right now, it is not worth comparing with what goes on the other side of the scales is that future hope. And if you wait for God, he will wait on you. He will have you recline at his table. He will put on his garments and he will wait on you. You'll be filled with joy, the inexpressible joy, the glory of God that is waiting for us. Help us, Father, to change our perspective, to go to the tower. Help us, God, in those times that it is all we can do to stand and to stay at our watch, to stay at our post. And help us ultimately to hold on to the promises of God, to know that you will do something in our days, God, that we do not and could not and will not understand, even if we were told. So help us to hold on to that vision, God, of the future, 
and of your faithfulness, Lord Jesus. And help us in these moments of waiting, Father, to choose humility, to reckon with James that we cannot know, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, we don't know what's in the future, but we will trust ourselves, entrust ourselves to the will of God, to God's will, to God's omniscient, omnipotent will. And we will know that in these times of trouble, God is building our character, our poise, our endurance. He's maturing us. And the pressure can make coal into a diamond. So Lord, we submit ourselves to you. We stand and we look to your faithfulness, God. We thank you that you help us in and through troubled times. Thank you for the ultimate perspective that you give us. And the fact that we win, we will not perish. We will have everlasting life. Comfort your people with these words, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.